Hey, we're kicking off our brand new series called The Race. And the title comes from a, a phrase that, that we find in Hebrews chapter 12, where the, where the Hebrew writer tells us to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And so we're going to be spending most of our time in this study just looking at these three verses, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, and we'll kind of use them as a launch pad, and we'll study some other passages in Hebrews as well over the next six weeks as we encourage one another and as we challenge one another to not give up, but to keep going and to run the race that God has for us. And this idea of of, uh, you and I as Jesus followers being in a race is not just found in Hebrews chapter 12, it's found in many other places as well. Like in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, where Paul says this, he's heading back to Jerusalem, knowing when he gets there, they're probably going to arrest him. He may even die. And he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says this, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. He writes to the church in Galatia. They had kind of gotten uh, off track a little bit. He says, you were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? And that famous passage in Philippians, Paul says, I, I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past. Some of you need to do that. Looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And then Paul, some of the very last words that he penned in a prison cell shortly before his execution said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we begin this new journey, this new series Um, but the concept is ancient, Lord. God, your people have been involved in a race following you from the beginning of time. And and God, I pray that uh, you'll be with us. And I pray for those in this room, Lord, who the race is kind of hard right now, kind of difficult, a lot more turns, a lot more uphills than they thought there was going to be, that they thought the track was going to be a whole lot shorter than it is. And they're losing hope. And they need encouragement to stay in the race. And, and God, I just pray that you'll enable me to speak the truth as you want me to speak them. God, your word is alive and active. And I am confident that if we listen alive and actively, Lord, that your word will penetrate our hearts and give us hope. A hope that is alive. In Jesus' name, amen question is, is running a race an easy thing or a hard thing to do? Now, now this week I, I, I did some research on the effects that the human body goes through when running a marathon. I've never run one, okay? And, and I found two interesting articles, one written by Matt McCarthy, he's a doctor of internal medicine and also a guy who runs the Boston Marathon. He wrote an article called The Terrifying Hell a Marathon Inflicts on the Human Body. Uh, another lady named Sarah Bittencourt, she wrote, How Running a Marathon Puts Your Body Through Hell. And, and she cites studies done by Yale um, Medical Center. 
And here are, here, here are some of the th- things your bodies go through uh, running a marathon. Uh, core body temperature increases to 102 degrees on the runners. Some runners reach as high as 103 degrees core temperature. And by the end of the race, after the sweat on the runners' bodies begin to cool, the core temperature starts to plummet, putting them at risk of hypothermia. And that's why you'll see a lot of runners wearing those tinfoil blankets wrapped around them to kind of keep in the heat. A large percentage of runners show stage one acute kidney failure caused by the increase in core temperature, dehydration, and reduced blood flow uh, to the kidneys during the race. You see, during a a marathon, your, your body begins to divert blood from vital organs to your muscles and ligaments and things like that. Now, most runners recover within two weeks from this kidney issue. Marathon runners release molecules from the liver, heart, and skeletal muscles into the bloodstream that are usually only seen in patients with disease organs. Uh, Consuming an inappropriate quantity of water creates a fluid imbalance that throws the sodium concentration out of whack and through a complex mechanism can cause the brain to shrink or to swell, particularly if too much water is consumed. Sodium alteration is why so many runners feel so disoriented at the end of the race. And you may have noticed when a race, a lot of runners sometimes are hunched over and especially hunched over towards the end of the race. And uh, that's because of the increase of the amount of lactate in their muscles, which results in cramps. Lactate builds up when a runner burns glucose at a faster rate than he takes in oxygen, especially during that final sprint. And towards the end of the marathon is also when the effects of tissue damage and the muscle joints really starts to be felt. For instance, for instance, in the infamous Heartbreak Hill, it, it, we got a Boston guy nodding his head. It, it's the last of four hills in the Boston Marathon. It, it's a mile marker 20.5, and, and runners are exhausted and they hit the notorious wall. At this point, and I got, got a picture of Leah, I man, she is really having a blast. <laughs> At this point, Dr. McCarthy, again, like I said, he wrote the article, he's a runner. He says, you've almost exhausted your carb stores and your blood sugar is dropping. You're running on almost an empty tank. Your brain only operates on glucose, which has pretty much been depleted by this point. So people start to lose focus, get fuzzy vision, and they slow down. And here's how one runner, Frank uh, um, Biello, 36, describes uh, hitting the wall. It's mostly nerve and muscle pain from the wear and tear. Once you hit the wall, it's mind over matter. You have to do whatever you can to keep your mind focused on everything else. You're not the pain you're going through, right? And, and, to, and to be positive. And listen, keeping your mind focused and being positive is helped because in a Boston Marathon, 500,000 people surround the runners as they're running, most towards the end of the race, celebrating their loved ones and the endurance of the human body. Now, now, as these runners reach the end of the race of something like the Boston Marathon, and they're cheering, what do you think they're saying to these runners who fit the wall, who are feeling mostly nerve pain and muscle pain, who are slowing down, losing focus, and their vision is getting fuzzy? What do you think they're saying to them? I think they're saying, keep going. Don't quit. You're almost there. Don't stop now. No, no, running a race is not an easy thing. And that's why I do not see myself running a marathon anytime in my future. (laughs) 
And listen, if that ship ever was in my harbor to begin with, it has sailed long, long time ago. And you know what? Run the race that God has marked out for us isn't easy either. Isn't easy either. In fact, it can be rather brutal and unrelenting at times. I mean, we can feel overwhelmed and weary and unsure if we'll be able to take another step without falling to the ground. Ever been there? And I understand over, over the past 27 years as a pastor, I've had many conversations with people who've hit their own version of Heartbreak Hill. Feeling mostly nerve and muscle pain, slowing down, losing focus, vision fuzzy. I'll give you a few examples. A young couple's been married a few years. They're struggling and they feel like maybe they've married the wrong person. And they feel like giving up. They feel like quitting. A man comes and he's been out of work for, for almost a year and he's just really, really discouraged. Uh, a lady comes and she had been married for 25 years and she, she tried to be a good wife, but her, but her husband just walked out on her and told her he does not love her anymore. And he's not even sure if he ever did love her. And now she's a single mom trying to raise two teenagers. There, there's this mom who's tried to do the best for her son and she has bailed him out of trouble time and time again. But this time there'll be no more bailing out as she's forced to stare at her son through a plexiglass window in a state prison. A woman comes and she struggles with depression for as long as she can remember and feels she'll stay trapped forever. A man comes and his affair has destroyed his wife. He's, he feels terrible about it but he doesn't know what to do, so he's not really doing anything to win her back. Someone else comes, and they've been trying to honor God as a single person, but it's just, it doesn't seem to be working. It's taken so much longer than they thought. A student works hard at trying to, to please his dad, but no matter what he achieves, it's never enough a fact that his dad is always certain to tell him. He's been sick for so long, and the doctors really don't know what's wrong with him. He's just so tired, he wants to give up. A pastor is pouring himself out for the church where he serves, believing that God brought them there to help that church to be everything God desires. And after all the years, the harvest seems to have yielded so little, and he's not sure how much longer he can go on. He's been trying to share Jesus with his aging father, but his father doesn't seem to have any interest at all. He had been doing good for so long, but then the other night he logged onto that website and his porn addiction has been unleashed again. She promised herself she would never yell and scream again, but she totally lost it on her family and she feels so ashamed. An unexpected large expense has derailed a family's plan to live debt free and breathe financially again. She's doing all she can to restore the relationship with her grown children, but they say they want nothing to do with her. They, they, they won't take her calls anymore, and they tell her to stop calling. She constantly responds to his efforts with criticism and sarcasm. He just got back the diagnosis from the doctor. The pancreatic cancer has returned, and this time with a vengeance. I understand, Maple Grove, I, I, I could... I could keep going. Like seriously, I could fill up an entire service with these things. 
Now, some of these stories you can probably relate to, and some, unfortunately, all too well. And so the question is, what did these people need at that moment? What did they need to hear? I mean, when we feel overwhelmed and discouraged in the race, when we had our own version of Heartbreak Hill, feeling mostly nerve and muscle pain, slowing down, losing focus, vision fuzzy, what we need is encouragement. But just what does, it, just what does that encouragement look like? I mean, when you're tired and you're weary, worn out, overwhelmed and discouraged, when you feel like dropping out of the race, going to the bench, stepping out of the fight, does the encouragement you need look something like this? I seriously heard him on 97.5 driving to church today. It's like a commercial with him on it. It's like, are you kidding me? I mean, like, it's what you need to hear is for someone with a gentle smile, a kind voice, and a really awesome sweater <laughs> to pat you on the back and to say to you, I'm so sorry. Life is so hard. I'm sure it'll all work out fine. Won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> I mean, is that what you really need to hear? To encourage you to stay in the race, encourage you to fight another round, to encourage you to step back in the ring? Or... or or does encouragement you need to hear look more like this? <laughs> Anyone know that, who that's supposed to be? Wayne Wallace. And now Braveheart is my all-time favorite movie. And this picture is from my all-time favorite scene. You see the ragtag Scottish army is facing off against the English at the Battle of Stirling. And they're outnumbered by a massive army that's much better equipped and that's much better battle-tested, an army that's defeated them time and time again, an army that's occupied their lives, that occupied their country. Understandably, they are tired. They are discouraged. They've hit their own heartbreak hill. They just want to go home. They just want to live. In fact, that's what they tell William Wallace as he comes with a painted face riding to the to the front lines. We just want to go home and live. And William Wallace, with a painted face, riding back and forth on his horse, responds to the desire to quit, to give up, to go home and live with these powerful and inspiring words. I fight and you may die. Run and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that to come back here and to tell our enemies they can take our lives, but they can never take our freedom. And then they started chanting, Alba Gubra, Alba Gubra, Alba Gubra, Scotland forever, Scotland forever. I love that movie. <laughs> I understand, there have been many times as I've tried to run the race, that I felt tired, weary, overwhelmed, and discouraged. Times I just wanted to quit. I wanted to give up. I, I, I wanted to go home. Thinking what's the use? What's the point? Why, why keep trying? Why bother? Times when I faced my own heartbreak hill. Feeling mostly nerve and muscle pain. Slowing down, losing focus, vision fuzzy. And listen, in those times, though, I may have won it. Mr. Rogers to come alongside of me wearing his really awesome sweater and pat me on the back and to feel sorry for me 
and wallow with me in my difficulty, yeah, that's what I may have wanted. But what I needed was somebody on a horse wearing a kilt (laughs) with a painted face telling me, hey, (laughs) hey, I know it's been hard. I know you're tired. I know you're discouraged. I know you want to quit, but don't quit. Don't go home. Keep fighting. Staying the race. Don't walk off the battlefield. I, I know you feel like it's all pointless, that, that you can't keep going, but you can. Yes, with God's help and God's power, you can fight another day. You can go another round. So keep moving forward. Keep pressing on. Hang on. Hold fast. Stand firm. Never, never, never quit. Don't throw in the towel. Listen, now is not the time to tap out, to bail out, or to bow out. That is not what God has called you to do. It's time for you to dig down deep and tap into a power and a strength that's not your own. Don't give up now. The race isn't over. Yesterday, I was at a a ball game. My son's ball game, playing a doubleheader in Crozet. They lost their first game, and and it it was the bottom of the third inning of the second game, tied one-to-one. The other team just started crushing the ball, and our guys started making mistakes. And you could just see, man, their head, they were playing with their heads down, right? You know, they are playing discouraged, you know? And, and, and when the inning finally ended, it looked like it would go on forever, right? You know, eight runs later, and these guys come in, and, and, and I was close. I was listening to, I want to hear, hey, what is the coach going to say? I heard some of it. And Gentile filled in one of the blanks. And he, he just said, do you guys want to quit? Or do you want to keep on fighting? And you know what? They didn't win, but they kept on fighting. And when they took that field again, they played with heart. And brothers and sisters, that's what this series is all about. It's about hanging in there. It's about pressing on. It's about leaning in and finding a strength in God that produces a faith that perseveres. Get it? Good. Now understand, oftentimes what we need more often than not is strength, not sympathy. I mean, if you read through the New Testament with this idea in mind, if you look at the New Testament through this this lens, you'll find that this is a tone of the New Testament. And it's definitely the tone of the Hebrew writer as he comes riding into Hebrews chapter 12, wearing the kilt with a painted face, speaking courage into discouragement. Now, now I looked a little bit closer at this word encouragement this week, and I, I think if you and I were asked, hey, uh, define the word encouragement, we, we might define it this way. Encouragement. Word spoken that makes someone feel better, Right? I mean, that's just kind of a common understanding, definition of encouragement, making someone feel better. But listen, the word encouragement actually means to fill with courage, to fill with strength. Like, like this is God speaking to Joshua, who's about to cross the Jordan River, who's about to fight his first battle, and God is saying to him, hey, Joshua, I know you're afraid, I know you're terrified, I know you feel uncertain of the outcome, and I, I know you doubt your ability to lead God's people. So be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 
I think God's face was painted and he was wearing a quilt, not a nice, awesome sweater, right? Because that's what Joshua needed to hear. Not like, well, you've been wandering the wilderness for 40 years. It's been so hard. Your feet are sore. You know, why don't you just take it easy? That's not what he said. See, encouragement is better understood speaking words that fill a person's soul and spirit with courage. Not simply making them feel better, though they will feel better and feel better longer. And that's what is happening in Hebrews 12. First three verses. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now the implication is that these readers are growing weary, that they are starting to lose heart. And the Hebrew writer knows it. You see, he knows if it's not now, he knows it's coming. He knows they're going to feel discouraged. He knows they're going to feel overwhelmed. He knows they're going to feel beat down. And when they do, he says, here's what you need to do when you feel that way. And notice that the first thing he says is to remember the witnesses. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And I think that verse has the potential to give you strength, to give you courage, when you feel that both of them are slipping away. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now that word therefore points back to Hebrews chapter 11, which is sometimes called the faith hall of fame. I mean, the Hebrew writer just tells one story after another of the heroes of the faith, people who have run the race, people who were faithful even when it was hard, people who kept their faith in God even when circumstances and situations seemed impossible. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, now this word cloud is, is not talking about some sharply defined cloud uh, just floating up in the sky. It, it, it's, it's more like uh, a cloud that fills the sky, a better be almost like a fog, right? Like wherever you are, you're surrounded by this fog, and that's the image, that's the metaphor. Hebrew writer saying, look, look, when you grow weary, and you're going to grow weary. When you feel like you're losing heart, and you're going to feel like you're losing heart, remember that you're surrounded by a cloud, a great cloud. I mean, like this cloud, it's everywhere. You can't see it, but it's there. These people who've gone before you now are this great cloud of witnesses. Well, let's talk about this word witness, witnesses. It can be understood a couple ways. One way would be a witness is somebody who, who sees something, right? An, an eyewitness. A, a, a lot of people think that this is the idea, that we're surrounded by these heroes of faith who are now watching us, like they see us, like they're in heaven looking down and, and they're watching you and I run the race. And, and, and maybe that, that, that's what this word means. I mean, I mean, maybe right now there are millions of people watching you and I right now, people who have run the race, people who have been killed for their faith, people who have sacrificed everything to follow Jesus. And like, maybe they're watching us right now in this room. And they're going to watch us as we walk out those doors. And they're going to watch us this week as we live out our faiths. And if that's what it means, that's a pretty powerful picture, right? 
I mean, when you feel tired and, and you find yourself down on the track and you don't think you can get back up and keep running, you take a minute, you remember that you're, there's this great cloud of witnesses that are surrounding you, that are watching you. It's kind of like in football, right, NFL football, when you play on your home field. Oh, my goodness, where did that picture come from? Yeah, baby, I took that in person, y'all. My very first game, right? It was awesome. And I'll tell you what, it makes a difference to play at home, right? You got your crowds cheering you on, right? You're there banging seats and yelling, defense! Right? I, mean, I was going crazy, right? I was the 12th man and it was fun. You got this great cloud and if that's the picture, right? These people are watching you. That, that's, pretty, that's pretty motivating. This image surrounded by a great cloud and the living Bible paraphrases it with that idea in mind since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of men and women of faith watching us from the grandstand. So maybe that's it. But there's also another way to understand and define the word witness. A witness is not just someone who sees, it's someone who, who speaks, someone who, who says. And, and so the Hebrew writer might be saying is that we're surrounded by uh, this cloud of, of people who've gone before us and that they're speaking to us, that they're saying something to us. I, I tend to lean towards this understanding. Uh, one reason is because this word witness is used five times in Hebrews chapter 11, always with this meaning of speaking, of saying. An example is in verse 4. Hebrew writer begins this list of heroes of faith by talking about Abel and about how both his offering and himself were witnesses. And verse 4 ends this way. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. Even though he's dead, even though... Even though he's dead, he's still saying something. Even though he's in heaven, he continues to speak. He continues to have something to tell us. And the question is, what are, what are these witnesses telling us? And so I challenge you to read Hebrews 11 with this in mind. That these witnesses, these past runners of the race are speaking to us. And, and, and I, I want to just give a few examples. Um, and I'll use familiar stories because we don't have time to unpack them. Like verse 7 tells us of Noah, and it says, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. So he's warned about a flood, and he's never seen rain, right? Do you know how long it took him to build this boat? 120 years. That's a long time for a building project. Like, I don't know if you've ever done a remodel before, but 120 years would test the best of you. Like, like there would be some arguments that would surface in your marriage, right? If you were in a 120-year building project. I mean, that's a long time. And they're building a boat in the desert for a flood. They've never seen rain. Besides that, they got, they got a bunch of people trying to discourage them. There's a bunch of haters out there. And yet, he just keeps doing what God has asked him to do. And so I think what Noah might say is, as a witness, as he speaks, as he watches you and I run a race, I think he might say, I know you're tired. I know the progress is much slower than you thought it would be. But listen, the rain will come. I understand a lot of stories of the Old Testament really underscore this idea that God is rarely early, but he's never, well, he's never late. And therefore, you can trust him even when it seems like you can't trust him. And I don't know, maybe some of you can relate to that song. I know I can. That's why I picked it to 
the day that go before the sermon. Walking around these walls. I thought by now they'd fall. Waiting for change to come. And if that's you this morning, Noah would say, faith sometimes is is waiting. It's where you're not sure how things are going to come together, but you just keep being obedient to what God has asked you to do. Believing that in the end, he's not going to let you down, that he's not going to fail you. You have never failed me yet. But that, that can be hard, right? I mean, that can be hard. Because we want God to be on our calendar, right? Now, understand, God doesn't keep your calendar. I don't know if you knew that. Like, like God doesn't wake up every morning and check your calendar to figure out what he's supposed to do today, right? He, he doesn't do that. God's got his own calendar. And faith sometimes is waiting. And for a lot of us, this is where discouragement sets in, where we focus on our calendar. And when our calendar doesn't come together the way we think it should or when we think it should, we're tempted to quit. We're tempted to give up because things were supposed to be different by now. And so I think Noah would say, hey, look, while you're waiting, keep working. No, you're tired, but don't give up. Keep running. The rain will come. It's not... I know some of you are tired. And maybe you've been trying to be a witness at work and it, 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 it just doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Nothing seems to be happening. But just keep on working because this is what God has called you to do. I know you're tired. Maybe you've tried to reach out to a neighbor or a family member. I know, I know you've been working hard to rebuild your marriage. I know you've been trying hard to have some very difficult conversations with, with your family and there's just doesn't seem to be any traction that's taking place. Stick with it. Don't give up. The rain will come. The walls will come down. In verse 8 of Hebrews, we read about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Like God didn't tell him where to go. Everyone's like, okay, I'll leave. Where am I going? God says, well, just start going, and then, then I'll tell you. He went without knowing where he was going. Think about that. I mean, he left when all the blanks were still blanks. That takes faith, amen? And for some of you, that's the situation you're in. You're trying to be obedient to God. You're pretty sure you're headed in the direction that he wants you to go, but you're not really sure where it's all leading and where it's going to end up, and he's not telling you. Hey, this is an opportunity for faith. The Bible says of Sarah, Abraham's wife, in verse 11, that she finds out she's supposed to be a mother, and she's going to have a son who will become the father of a great nation. The Bible says that she's very old and barren, and that her husband is as good as dead, right? That's a that's some good verbiage right there. He's good as dead. And Hebrews 11 says, Sarah, Hebrews 11, 11, Sarah believed that God would keep his promise. Do you? Hey, no, it didn't make sense on paper. Physically, it seemed impossible. But God said it. And what God says he'll do, God's going to do. And so the challenge then is to not give up when you don't know what is going to happen or how it's going to happen. You know, I think far too often, far too many of us have this fear of the future. 
And since we don't know how it's going to work, it paralyzes us and we stop moving forward. But yet the Bible says in Hebrews 11, 1, that faith is being sure of what you hope for and being certain of what you do not see. That's faith. That's running the race. You don't know the future. You don't know how it's all going to fit together, but you keep moving forward, hoping for and being confident of what you cannot see. Now, there's, a, there's an event in the Winter Olympics called the Super G. I'm not exactly sure what that means. But one thing I know is they go really fast, right? Like, like north of 80 miles per hour. The record is 96.6 miles per hour. That is simply crazy, right? And, and one interesting thing about it is that, you know, they don't get to run the course first and practice it. They can look at it. They can walk through it. But they're not able to run through it until they actually do the race. And which puts the guys who are deeper into the race at advantage, right? Because what happens is their buddy, you know, runs the race, and when he gets down, he calls back to the top, and he, he tells them, right? Calls his teammate. Hey, hey, let me tell you what to expect. There's some unexpected challenges you're going to face. There, here's some places where you can pick up speed. There's a turn that's a whole lot sharper than we thought it was going to be. And so they finish the race, and they tell those up, here's what you need to be aware of. That's what's happening in Hebrews 11. These are men and women who have finished the race and they're calling back up and they're saying, hey, there are going to be some times, you're going to have this time in your life when you thought it was, you're supposed to go right and you're going to need to go left. And there's going to be this season of life where you think it's going to go fast, yet it's going to go slow. There's going to be this time when you thought things were about to get really smooth and easy but it's going to get bumpy and hard. And there's going to be a moment where you're out of, you feel you're out of control and you're going to be tempted to lie down and to lean back, but you need to lean in. Understand, these heroes of faith are letting us know what the course is like. And they're speaking and saying, look, you can have faith because the same God that got us down to the bottom of the course is the same God that will get you down and help you finish the race. Get it? Good. And so Abraham, I think, would say, even if you don't know where he's leading, and even if you don't know when, and even if you don't know how it's going to happen, don't lose faith. Get off the bench. Put down your water bottle. Get back in the game. Step into the batter's box. Batter's box walk between those chalk lines. Verse 22 tells us about Joseph and this cloud of, he's in this cloud of witnesses, and Joseph had this dream, and he thought he knew how his life was going to work out. But everything falls apart, and it's not really his fault. I mean, he's a victim. His brothers sell him into slavery. He's committed, convicted of a crime he didn't commit. And if you study his life, you see that he kept his faith and that he never, ever felt sorry for himself. He could have. You see, one thing that happens as we look at these witnesses it'll give us some perspective. You see, sometimes we feel like we're the only ones going through what we're going through or feeling what we're feeling. But these witnesses remind us, hey, we're not the first one to go through hard times. We're not the first ones to feel discouraged. We're not the first ones to feel the way that we feel. Like, wow, look what Joseph went through. Yeah. Understand, perspective is so important in running the race. We all need it. I know I need it. I, I remember being... Several years ago, being in Bangladesh, meeting some pastors over there, and, and I talked to, we talked with one pastor who, who had been just released from being 
captured and tortured for four weeks. An another pastor who had his, who had his uh, church burned down. And by the way, the church met in his house. As I listened to these and other stories, you know what I didn't do? I didn't say, you know, that's really awful. Now let me tell you about this nasty email I got. <laughs> I didn't say that. So he'd be like, so you're telling me that a mean person sent you a harsh electronic correspondence. That must have been really hard, Steve. Well, I didn't say that. This guy was kidnapped and tortured for the gospel. See, there's a perspective that's needed. Because we all have a tendency at times to play the part of the victim in the story that we're living. We get caught up in that victim's mentality. That says, well, you know, I'm so tired and I'm so sick. I played so hard the last game. I feel like I just deserve to sit this one out. And Joseph would say, that's not how you run the race. Moses is in there. And among other things, Moses, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I think Moses would say, hey, I know that the sin you're caught up in, I know the sin you're choosing, I know you're enjoying it. Because sin is fun for a time. Sin is pleasurable for a time. And Moses, as he speaks from this cloud of witnesses, I think he would say something like this. Sin always takes you further than you want to go, and it keeps you longer than you want to stay. And Moses would say, choose God over pleasure. It has a much better reward. Amen? Amen? Verse 31 tells us about Rahab. She was a prostitute in the Old Testament that God used to save his people. And she might say something to you like this. Look, I know that you are weighed down by your past. But stop letting your past define you. Stop letting your past define you. I know you're constantly reminded of the mistakes that you've made and who you used to be and who other people said that you were. But you're not who they said you were. You're not your past. You're not your mistakes. You're not your failures. She would say, stop letting your past define you and start letting your God define you. The God who's given you a new person. The God who's given your life a new meaning. The God who has made you a new creation. Listen, your past and failures do not need to define you unless you choose to, right? I mean, that's the common theme of these heroes, right? You know, the, Moses could stand up here and be the pastor of this church and say, I'm a messed up pastor, right? Abraham could stand up here. I'm messed up. David, hey, you know what? I may be the King David, but guess what? I'm messed up. I mean, you can't find one person that's not, right? They were messed up. But you know what they did? They stayed in the race. They didn't quit. They didn't give up. And God, therefore, was still able to work in and through their lives. Amen? And some of you, God brought for that very thing. It's your choice, right? God can't, God's not going to do a lobotomy on you, right? And, and, you know, he's not going to hypnotize you, right? You know, you have to make the choice. Because of Christ, you do not have to let the past define you. Even as a Christian, right? Because even as a Christian, sometimes our pasts are not that great, right? 
You got a bad week last week, right? Hey, that doesn't have to define you, right? Every day the sun comes up, it's a new day. And, and I was thinking, okay, what about as a group? What were these heroes of faith as a group? What, 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 what would they say? And I believe, uh, I believe one thing would be they would say, don't give up. I, I mean, you would hear you would hear the stance, man. You would hear them. I got to move some things so I can bang. I mean, you would hear them banging. Don't give up. 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 Keep going. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. And they would just keep shouting it, right? Because they didn't give up. And they finished the race. I think they say that. And then I think they say this, it's your turn now. It's your turn. It's your turn. We did this. We struggled. We sacrificed. We ran our race. Now it's time for you to run yours. It's three diverse. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that are speaking to us. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before me endured the cross, scorning to shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Father God, thank you for this great cloud of witnesses. Thank you that even though they are dead, they still speak. And may we listen to what they have to say as we run this race for you and your honor and your glory. Amen.